Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Sea Trade Maritime and Shipping Podcast. You're listening to a mini-series called Hong Kong Focus, which has kindly been sponsored by the people at Invest HK. This series is made up of three parts, with each one looking in-depth at a different area of Hong Kong's maritime trade and seeing where we are in 2020 and how COVID-19 has affected its place within the shipping world. Our editor, Marcus Hand, who I'm sure is a familiar voice to you by now, is the moderator for this mini-series. And in this episode today, he is joined by Rosita Lau, who is a partner at Inson Co, and they'll be discussing the legal scene in Hong Kong. So let's dive into the conversation and pick up at the point where Marcus has just asked Rosita what are the key legal developments which she has seen so far in 2020. Here's Rosita. I would say two things. First of all, as you know, we have just recently came into force the new ship leasing tax concession ordinance. We have talked about that. We have spoken in webinar about that, which is absolutely a breakthrough. I'm very, very confident in that it will bring a lot of intended ship lessers to Hong Kong and will boost the Hong Kong maritime market a lot. The details of the ordinance I will not repeat here, but the important thing is we are telling a lot of the PRC ship lessors that if you come to Hong Kong and operate in Hong Kong, the vessels trade in waters overseas, then you speaking, you do not have to pay any profit tax at all. Is the rate of taxes zero? When the profit tax nowadays is 16.5% for the others business for profits earned in Hong Kong. And for those qualified ship lessors, who have been actively operating in China. I think they should seriously consider coming to Hong Kong because Hong Kong's tax regime is much more attractive than that in China, comparatively speaking. And even for another type of maritime players, I'm talking about the qualified ship management company, they are also going to be entitled to enjoy tax concession. If they are going to work for their associated companies, then they only have to pay half of the profit tax. That is half of 16.5%, which is just 8.25%. And if they are going to do for some other non-associated companies, that would be 8.25%. But for the associated companies, I correct myself, it's again 0%. So how attractive it is. Nowhere basically in East Asia, you will have this sort of tax concession. And the second thing is, I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, BIMCO had already agreed to add Hong Kong to their standard contract, including time charter parties or these standard contracts, as one of the four recommended sit of arbitration. So the other three, I think you can guess, is London, New York, and Singapore. And Hong Kong is going to be the fourth one. Actually, we have BIMCO's agreement to that in late December last year, and they are going to announce it. And documentary-wise, they have finished all the documents. And I think yesterday or the day before or tomorrow would be the time when they're going to make it really come into force. I was actually involved in that because I remember we have been advocating that we have been appealing to BIMCO for quite some time. In March last year, as an appointed member of the Hong Kong Maritime Port Board, 
a joint a delegation of the whole board led by Mr. Frank Chang, Secretary for Transport and Housing. We went all the way to Copenhagen, and there we met with BIMCO's as a panel of hosts from BIMCO. And in that meeting, a lot of the members make submission about why Hong Kong should be added as one of the designated seats of arbitration for maritime dispute. I made some submission on that. I told them why things have changed, why they should include Hong Kong into their standard charter party. And I got their feedback saying that what I said carries compelling force. These are the two words they use. I'm very pleased that I have contributed to attaining this target. And I'm really looking forward to that Hong Kong will really play the role of being the center of this field resolution for maritime dispute at least in the region or in, even internationally. This is what I think is the most significant achievement for Hong Kong in the last 12 months, I think. Can you just explain a little bit more about what the significance is of that being included on the BIMCO forms? The importance is that if you use, you know, BIMCO is very significant and influential in the international maritime market. And a lot of the people just use their standard contract, like China Party, in their daily business. If Hong Kong is added as one of the four named or recommended seats of arbitration in the contract, that means the contracting parties, I'm talking about the ship owner or the designated ship owner and the charterers, they can only just take Hong Kong as the place of arbitration then the arbitration will have to be arbitrated in Hong Kong. And because Hong Kong, as of today, we are still practicing maritime law, which is very much based on English law. And you know, English law is the most important and most historical maritime law in the whole world. And we are still following the common law system. So I think it is beneficial not only to Hong Kong, not only to the legal practitioners, but also, strictly speaking, for the entire regional maritime industry. They have one more choices. And Hong Kong, having the legal elite here, we know English and Chinese. We know how China practices business. And we know the, how the East meets with the West in Hong Kong. So compare with England, uh, London, New York, and Singapore, you're in Singapore. So I think we stand out and we can contribute to the development of maritime arbitration globally, regionally in Hong Kong and also for China. It sounds like a really positive mood for Hong Kong it, and owners around the world, actually. That's right, that's right. I'm saying that uh, shipping being very international, so we have to think internationally. We cannot be narrow-minded. I'm not talking about simply contributing to Hong Kong, but actually that is beneficial to a lot of the people in China practicing shipping. And, you know, China is one of the biggest maritime countries in the world. So. If you think really along that direction, you will know what sort of benefit it will bring to not only Hong Kong, but to the Asia region and also to China as well. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing the announcement from BIMCO. It should be around these few days. I have been invited by the Department of Justice of Hong Kong to be interviewed by them very shortly. Had I got the time this week, I should have been interviewed by them earlier this week. And we are going to talk about this thing as well. Excellent. You're keeping very busy, it must be said. <laughs> <laughs> Just coming back, you you mentioned the first thing you mentioned was the ship leasing tax initiative. I oh. believe you were also involved in the development of that as well. Is that correct? 
Exactly, you are very correct. This basically is the second initiative promulgated and led by the Hong Kong government. The first one, if you allow me to say, back in 2018, the Hong Kong Financial Services Development Council, they run some sort of a special workshop. That is, they have special team trying to think about how to develop further the Hong Kong financial services. And one of them is, of course, the insurance business. Of the insurance business, maritime insurance is very much what they target at. I was appointed and invited to be a member of the special work group to really review the marine insurance of Hong Kong and how to develop further the Hong Kong marine insurance. So we had that report submitted to the government back in 2016 and 2017, and then came the government accepted all our recommendations. That recommendation included the government is to support the Hong Kong marine insurance industry further, including being more relaxed and being more approachable so far as uh, allowing international P&I clubs to set up offices in Hong Kong. I said all these things because that is very much my recommendation. It had been accepted by the government and it was published in the Chief Executive Policy Address of 2018. And following that, we will see more and more PI clubs setting up their offices in Hong Kong. And then came the second initiative is how to boost the ship finance business in Hong Kong and how to really enforce and also improve the ship leasing business in Hong Kong. Marcus, I think you are very clear about that. Uh, since the financial crisis uh, started by the collapse of Lehman Brothers in September 2008, the international shipping market actually has not been having a good time since September 2008. We haven't really recovered yet, and then we have COVID-19. In the past five or six years, China came out with some very good idea. That is, if the ship owners haven't got the money to purchase a vessel, then we have that sort of special species created. It's called the ship leasing company. So the ship leasing company had, in fact, contributing a lot in boosting ship finance uh, industry for the past few years. Now, this tax concession is, look, We give you more tax concession. If you come to Hong Kong, you set up the business in Hong Kong, you operate in Hong Kong, whatever lease by you, they have to trade in waters outside Hong Kong. Then you do not have to pay any profit tax at all. So once you become a qualified ship lessors, you're entitled to that sort of really good beneficial tax concession arrangement. And if you become a qualified ship management corporation as well, As I mentioned, you're going to be entitled to enjoy all those tax benefits. So I am very, very confident that this will bring a lot of good business to Hong Kong as well. Amidst the very depressing situation we have been having since the beginning of this year because of COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, it's great to have these initiatives in these times that, as you say, have been, it's been a pretty difficult year. Exactly. I agree totally. Is, uh, particularly for the maritime industry, because we... I repeat, we have not really recovered yet, and then we have the pandemic. So it's good to have something pleasant, something happier <laughs> in this sort of environment. I hope you're enjoying the conversation between Marcus Hand and Rosita Lau. I just wanted to interrupt to tell you that this episode of Hong Kong Focus has kindly been sponsored by the people at Invest HK. 
Should you wish to discover more about them, then do visit www.investhk.gov.hk. Right, now I want to take you back to the conversation. Here's Marcus. There was the focus in the last couple of years on the Greater Bay Area. Mm. And I was just wondering from a sort of maritime legal perspective, how you see that as progressing? I think we all recall that back in 2013, President Xi announced One Belt, One Road Global Initiative. But that is a very big initiative. It's a 30-year global initiative. And then three years ago, we have the announcement of the Greater Bay Area Initiative. It is a comparative speaking, a small initiative, but equally important because this is a 13-year initiative started by the Premier, Mr. Lee, announcing that in his annual report in March 2017, China planned that Hong Kong SAR, Macau SAR, and nine cities in the Guangdong provinces are grouped together to form a Great Bay Area. This area, 13 years later, are supposed to be even bigger than the San Francisco Bay Area, than the Tokyo Bay Area. Because we have more population, we have more chances. And then each of those nine cities, Hong Kong and Macau, are to play different roles. So Hong Kong is to play four roles under this initiative. We are to continue to be an international maritime center. And Marcus, you know that in the world, there are not many international maritime centers. There are just a few, less than 10. And we are to continue to be the international financial center. And come the third and the fourth new one, we are to be the regional or international dispute resolution center. So this is related to arbitration, which I will develop and elaborate a little bit more in the next few minutes. And then we are also going to be the regional international trading center as well. So on the legal front, maritime finance, dispute resolution and trade, they are all related to law. So legal elements permeated throughout all these four areas of business. I will focus on the dispute resolution because, you know, the law of China are different from the law of Hong Kong. Law are still model on English law, as I mentioned. And China's law is a good things of common law continental law and the traditional laws. So they have the best of everything. But then ultimately, if you go to things very international, like shipping, still you have to follow the international practice and the international law. So it is here where the law of Hong Kong, in particular maritime law of Hong Kong, really can contribute to the development of the Greater Bay Area. And uh, I think this is also connected with what I mentioned just then is BIMCO will include Hong Kong as one of the recommended seats of arbitration there. I think this together with a lot of hard work and initiative that the Department of Justice of Hong Kong have been doing, I think that really make the Greater Bay Area really buoyant in the next 10 years or whatever. This is a 13-year initiative. We are still at the very initial stage. We are just in the fourth year or the three and a half year only. So a lot will take place, so watch out. It's quite interesting seeing how these various things are fitting together, what's happening in Hong Kong with the BIMCO and then that wider, that you described the Greater Bay Area. Also that comment about bigger than the Tokyo Bay Area, that's quite something. <laughs> that's <right>? it, that's <laughs> it. Uh, People do not believe in that, but I'm quite confident in that because 
if China is determined to do something so far as bringing the advance in the country, they always prove that they can do that. Yeah, they do have a record of building things at a pace that most countries seem unable to do. Yeah. Thanks for describing that. You touched a bit before, you mentioned COVID. 2020 has been a fairly unusual year, shall we mm. say. I think for Maritime, we went into the year looking at IMO 2020 as this big groundbreaking regulation sure. that we were going to have to cope with. Mm. And then a few months into that, we got COVID, almost immediately actually. Looking at it from a legal perspective, have you seen particular trends of cases caused by these two factors or, in fact, anything else this year? Let me start with COVID first. COVID-19 ended up with a lot of lockdown policies. I watched the TV news early this morning because I worked late and I was back home at about two o'clock this morning. I watched the news and Britain announced that they almost go back to the lockdown policy again, which is very regrettable. And USA and Brazil are still number one and number two, so as the death toll is concerned, very depressing. But for shipping and trade, they're connected and also insurance. I did come across a lot of clients and I was asked to advise this council and some trade association as to force majeure, that is. They have cargoes, a lot of cargoes, which are supposed to be carried overseas. And then now the buyer said that, no, 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 I'm not going to receive all those cargoes. So don't ship to me. So what happened to the sellers and the shippers? Are they going to be entitled to get compensation from the buyers? Apparently had broken the contract. But because we have this pandemic, so we have to watch closely on those terms in the relevant contract, in particular the force majeure clause, to see whether it applies and whether it will enable the sellers to claim something from the buyers or whether the buyers can really exempt the liabilities. No. So we have all sort of shipping-related international and insurance-related dispute coming up. And we have been having that for the last six months or seven months. And I've been advising trade association on that as well. So force majeure, breach of contract and frustration, all these areas which have been very popular and commonly raised easily in the past few months. IMO 2020 is concerned. You are very correct because it came into force exactly on the 1st of January 2020. The sort of cases that are common and have been quite talked about, which I also personally handle, cannot mention client's name, but they are of two main types. First, is the not of quality, not fits for purpose of all those scrubbers that have been contracted to be installed on board vessel. So I had trip owners coming to me saying that I have one whole fleet of vessel contract enter with uh, whoever, the scrubber manufacturer, who are supposed to manufacture, install them, and to fit for whatever contractual and agree purposes, and they fail us. So we have that sort of dispute. The second type of dispute would be the bunkers dispute. So we have to make sure that the bunkers applied to the vessel are to meet with the requirement of IMO 2020. So whether their sulfur content really is low enough or not, that's the thing because, you know, Marcus, you know that a lot of bunkers is a mixture of several types of bunkers. So whether the bunkers supplied to the vessel are of quality or not, or whether it is because the engine of the vessels are not really clean enough, or whether the bunkers are container are not clean enough to receive the bunkers, 
or where the contamination came. We have this sort of uh, of uh, dispute. So these are another stream of very popular dispute since first of January 2020. Interesting to sort of see the sort of trends you're seeing there. Just looking specifically at some of the things you're handling yourself, I know it's difficult mm-hmm. to talk about clients, but are there any sort of particular cases you'd highlight you've been involved in this year or the last 12 months or so? I'm very pleased to tell you that we have made new law, and this is my case. I work together with Simon Jan, one of our managing associates, and a team of lawyers as well, together with our London office and with London Prince Council and Junior Council as well. We make new law by the case uh, CSK Gorridge. It's a case of world-leading ship owner, TCC Shipping, and I think you know them because they're everywhere. They're also in Singapore as well. And this is a dispute. We, as the seller of a vessel, sold for scrapping only, but we found that the buyer actually traded the vessel after the sale, blatantly breaking for scrap only clause. So you will see this clause in a lot of uh, sale and purchase of contract, and uh, even in BIMCO's recommended clause as well. And this is really the first case that ship owner, together with us, we work very hard together. Ship owner, I have to praise them because they are very, very determined to make sure that the wrong should not be endorsed and be tolerated anymore. So we took the case all the way to the English court. We fought very hard and then we won and got final mandatory injunction against the defaulting buyer. And this case set the precedent of this area of law. There was no prior case law in this area, not even one. You will be amazed to see that because we would have thought at first when I took the case, I thought there should be some case law somewhere in the world. But it turns out, no, this is the very first case. And we set the law and we pointed out we set the foundation for this sort of dispute from now on. It is surprising, actually, there was no precedent for that. But mm-hmm. I'm aware that this case attracted considerable attention. And congratulations on getting that judgment. Thank you very much. I think I should congratulate the very, very well-minded and shibonga is TCC's victory. I'm just contributing to that. I totally agree with that. Understood. From what I've observed, it's been quite an exciting time for Inch. You seem to be making quite a lot of hires around the world, some very well-known names in the maritime legal world joining the firm. Can you perhaps update us a bit what, what's been happening with INS in Hong Kong? Absolutely. Talking about INS Hong Kong, I would not only say it's Hong Kong because unlike some other firm or some other shipping firm, INS Hong Kong is part of INS Global. We are one partnership only. We operate differently. We still maintain a global partnership. So exciting is when a lot of firms are dwindling or they're trying to reduce in size, and we have been expanding. Rosita, Marcus, thank you. I think listening to Rosita Lau has outlined some very interesting developments during this very challenging 2020. This episode is part of our Hong Kong mini-series, which has been kindly brought to you by our sponsors InvestHK. Now, should you want to find out more about them, we'll visit them at www.investhk.gov.hk. We've really enjoyed bringing you this mini-series covering Hong Kong, its challenges, its growth, and how they're doing different things in the industry. 
So please do head to the Sea Trade Maritime News website where you'll discover more. And whilst you're at our website, I'd like to point out to you over the coming weeks, we've got a series of webinars where among a whole host of topics, we'll be looking at the logistics and infrastructure, sustainability and future fuels. If you're looking for something more immediate, though, I'd really like to point you in the direction of our special reports. Now, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. There'll be more coming in the near future. So do make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and now Amazon. Thank you and I hope you have a good day.